The following audio is from The Grove Church. For more information about the church or to listen to previous sermons, visit our website at grove.church. Well, good morning. Hey, one more time, let me welcome you here. So glad that you have come this morning. If I haven't met you before, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors on staff. Stoked as we were beginning a brand new message series, as you just saw in that video called On Second Thought, challenging the way that you and I look at life. And before I jump in, I just, I had to take a moment. There is a gal that is one of our host team leads um, who helps us uh, uh, kind of run our host teams and puts them together. And we always have bottles of water and mints up here for us when we're going to speak. And she always decides to do something kind of crazy with the water bottles. I'm not exactly sure what that is. Um, her name's Bonnie Herzog, red hair, you can't miss her out in the lobby. Give her a high five, say great job on the water bottles. It's always something different whenever she leads, so had to kind of point that out there. Um, but hey, yeah, I'm excited about this series because this series starts today, and over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to challenge the way that you and I view life, and more specifically, we're going to take at a look at different people or people groups, right, and, and challenge the way that we view them. Every one of us has a lens that we look at life. It's been um, uh, uh, compiled and built over our lifetime of how we see different things. We're going to talk about a couple of those groups today. If you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to take those out. We're going to be starting in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. There's also Bibles in the bottom of the seats in front of you that you can use today. Of course, you can take out your phone or tablet and open up that Bible app. And as you're turning there, I have a question. I wonder if, like me, have you ever initially come upon a situation? Have you ever initially evaluated a scenario? Have you ever judged a person initially only to later realize that you didn't have the whole story? Anybody brave enough like me to say somewhere in there a situation or a person? Yeah, we do it all the time. And I was thinking about explaining one of those situations to you, and I was trying to go back through the memory banks of the many, many times I have done that. Um, and I came up with this story to, to kind of give you an example. I've shared my testimony before in the past, but in case you're newer to the Grove and you don't know that, um, or maybe you weren't there on that Sunday, uh, when I was younger and a teenager, middle school and high school, my life revolved around sports. Every waking hour was sports. Every summer vacation was sports camps. Every day after school when I was get home and finish my homework, I would go out and play pickup basketball or football, you know, like, hey, run 10, you know, 10 feet this way and, move, and go to the red car, you know what I mean? Every waking moment of light outside, and then even sometimes when it was still dark outside, I was doing sports. In a lot of great ways, it taught me a lot of great stuff, like leadership and teamwork. It also taught me some uh, interesting uh, needed values like humility. I was humiliated several times in sports by making mistakes and things like that. Um, but in, in a lot of negative ways, I viewed sports. Um, unfortunately, it was what brought value to me. It's who my friends were. It's what gave me worth. And so that was not a good thing. And of course, we talked about in high school, and I'm sure you can remember back, uh, maybe you're there and you're still in high school right now, or maybe you were there, maybe it was many, many years ago. But there's always the different factions in schools, right? The different groups of people. I don't know about your high school, but we have, these were the ones that were prominent in my high school, right? You had the jocks, which I would have been a part of because I played sports. You also had the preppies, right? Those that are always wearing, you know, like the cardigan pullover and, you know, the 
the, you know, uh, the khakis and all that kind of stuff, right? We had ones that were really intellectual, that were really smart. We also had the partiers, or we called them the stoners. I think you can do two, you know, two and two together and get where, where that came from, right? And we also had the hicks, right? The hicks were like the Carhartt overalls and the steel chainsaw hats and, you know, and those kind of things. And we also had a group um, called uh, the band geeks. Now, here's the deal. I didn't name the group the band geeks, okay? So if you in high school played the saxophone or uh, the trumpet or the clarinet or uh, the, the, the flute or maybe like Pastor Andrew, the triangle, I, I'm not labeling... <laughs> I'm not labeling you that. That was just my high school, okay? And the reality is I was also raised in church and so attended youth group. And of course, my youth group, like all youth groups, are made up of different people from different schools and different groups in the classifications that they have. And some of those groups can get along together, and some of them are kind of like oil and water, right? Some of you would never from the outside look at and say, those two you know, groups, they would never be best friends, right? If I took a person from this one and a person from this one, it's just not going to work out. And so I remember that... In the summer of 1996, in between my sophomore and junior year, one of my first mission trips, it's the year that my life was flipped uh, upside down, inside out. God completely rocked me, changed my life, went from knowing about him to knowing him and being changed by him. And I did this mission team, and I mentioned this before in my testimony, is that it was a month long, okay? And the individuals on this team, the 25 people that came, were different kids from different groups and different schools together on this group. And in essence, we were forced to be together for 30 days or so. And there was a certain individual on this team in my youth group that also went to my school, and his name was Nate. And Nate was 6'4", about as tall as I am. He was gangly, right? He had, uh, so was I, uh, he had pale white skin, freckles, and the brightest red hair you've ever seen. In a moment, I'm going to show you a picture of Nate. Nate was a, would, would have been classified as a band geek, okay? And I was a jock. You would look at the two of us and say, you, you never see these two together. They, they just don't have enough in common. They're opposites. And yet he was on this team, and because of this team, I was forced on, in one sense, to get to know past just the outer shell, the look, or the labels that I had for him because of who he associated with, and I was able to see beyond the exterior to the interior of, of who Nate really was. And the truth is, is if I had allowed those labels, if I hadn't have been on this team with him where I was forced to get to know him, I would have missed out on getting to know one of the most incredible men I've ever met in my entire life. Nate was one of the most loyal people that you've ever met. He would literally give you the, the shirt off of his back and help you. He's one of the most unprideful individuals I've ever met. Always looking to uplift and to help and to encourage those that were around him. He was also wicked smart and a very talented musician and singer. In fact, Nate's ability to sing, his ability to play, encouraged me before I ever knew how to play an instrument. Which, by the way, remember, I was a worship pastor for about five or six years. I love music. But before I ever even knew music theory or any of that, he was one of those because he could do it that encouraged me and I wanted to start to learn. Nate is, I'm a, I'm a byproduct of Nate's talent because I got to know him and see who he is and he would teach me and show me. And I got a few pictures I'm going to throw up on the screen of Nate. Of course, when we're 18, 19, 20 years old, after this team, Nate and I and his brother Josh became best friends. Of course, we started a Christian band because when you're that age and you're a Christian, of course you start a Christian band, right? And I don't know if you can tell because that's black and white. You're going to see his hair color in a second, but Nate had a red afro, Right? <laughs> And that's, that's Nate in my wedding. That's my wife and I and a bunch of our friends. His brother Josh is all the way the opposite side on the right-hand side. And we spent, over the next decade, they became my closest friends. And yet I would have missed out on all of that had that situation of that team not allowed me to see beyond just the exterior to the interior of who 
Nate is. And there's a couple passages or stories in Scripture that illuminate this same principle. And the first one is here in 1 Samuel chapter 16. I want to give you just a brief synopsis to bring you up to where we jump in today in this story. The Israelite nation had been led over the course of their existence by several different individuals or groups of people, right? They were slaves for hundreds and hundreds of years. Then Moses, God used him to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and now they were free and they were led by Moses, right? There was periods of time that the Israelites were led by the judges. You can read that in the book of Judges, individuals who judged Israel on what they were doing right and wrong. There was a different period of time that the Israelites, their leadership were the prophets, the major and the minor prophets. And then came what we jump in today is the rule and the reign and the leadership of kings. That the Israelites had seen all the nations around them and said, they have a king and they have a king, we want a king. And so God granted them their wish. By the way, side note, be careful what you wish for. Because they wanted a king, but when you have a king, so goes the king, so goes the nation. And there's all these stories throughout scripture that they had a godly king and things went well. But if they got a king in there that was wicked, things went really, really bad. And so God gives them a king. First king is Saul. Samuel is the prophet. It's kind of like the baton being passed from the rule and the leadership of prophets now over to kings was Samuel. And God used Samuel to anoint Saul. And where we jump in here in the story is Saul has begun to do evil in the sight of the Lord and he's lost God's favor. And it says this in verse 1. It says, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one that I indicate. And Samuel did what the Lord said, and when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. Man, I wish we had more time to dive in to some of the specifics here. And they asked, do you come in peace? And Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice And when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, this is one of Jesse's sons, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, and if you're taking notes or if you've got a pen or a highlighter in your Bible, you need to highlight or underline this. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And then Jesse called Abinadab, another son, and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Then Jesse had Shema pass before. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. And so he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. And so he sent and had him brought in, and he was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. And so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. 
God says, I do not look at the things that man or people look at. People look at the exterior. They judge how they look. Are they strong? Are they charismatic? Are they pretty? Do they have gifts? Are they confident? But God says, I don't look at the exterior like people do. I look at the heart. And of course, the heart, when you read this in Scripture, always, it's not the representation of the physical organ in our bodies that pumps blood throughout it. The heart always represents the core beliefs, the character, the values, and the intentions of an individual. Does that make sense? God says, I don't look at these things. In essence, what God is saying to Samuel and what he's saying to us is don't judge something. Don't categorize something. Don't assume something. Don't base the worth or the value of something on the outward appearance because the outward appearance can be false and deceiving. The true worth of something is found on the inside. And some of you are thinking, man, this sounds very familiar to a principle, like a wisdom quote I've heard before. And many of us have heard it a different way, and you probably thought some philosopher dreamed this up at some point. In fact, I know you all know it because I'm going to start it and you're going to finish it. And the, and the wisdom quote is this, don't judge a book by its cover. Biblical principle, don't judge a book by its cover. And I think that we would say that all of us would agree with that. And he would say, yes, that's a very good thing to have. And yet, you and I do it every single day. And sometimes we don't even know that we do it. We've been conditioned to do it. Sometimes out of necessity of how busy life is, our brain processes so much information. And we are conditioned at all moments by everything around us. We've talked about some of these before. Let me remind you, every day you and I are affected and influenced by the things that are around us. Sometimes it's things like the media, right? The news channels that we see. Is it fake news or is it real news or who can tell the difference? Right? Sometimes it's the people that we know, our family and their beliefs influence us one way or the other. Our closest friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates, their beliefs all influence us. Over time, every day of our lives, we build up these core beliefs or outlooks on different situations and different people or people groups, right? Sometimes uh, it's a situation in which our past experiences have weighed in on what our beliefs are or our thoughts are when some kind of a situation similar to what we've experienced comes up. And now, not only is it the small group around us, but in this day and age, social media, now at all moments of time, on any topic under the sun, we have hundreds and thousands of people that we see weigh in with their ideals and their topics, which again, weigh and sway us one way or the other. And the truth is, all these things over all of our years on this earth has created over time an outlook or a belief system for us about almost every area of life. And when we encounter these situations, our ideals and our beliefs kick in. And sometimes it's outward, right? Sometimes we say something when we see a scenario. Sometimes we do something and there's an action. And I just admitted, coming all the way back to the very beginning question, have you ever misjudged a situation or a person by only having part of the information? And those are the moments in my life when I've had to put the tail between my legs and go back and apologize or make it right because I judged or stereotyped something that I didn't fully understand. Sometimes there's an action that comes out when these situations happen. And then there's a lot of times where we don't say anything or do anything, and without us even knowing it, our brain, because it moves at the speed of life, not the speed of light, although they're close, 
But at the speed of life, we've got all these things going on and our brain is processing them all and a thought about a belief comes up and we don't even maybe recognize it. Let me, let me explain. This happens subconsciously. Did you know that our brains are one of the most incredible feats of creation? Have you stopped to think about that? Not only does the brain, is it so unique that every single one of us have a unique personality, likes and don't likes, almost like the, how unique a fingerprint is. Oh, so different, right? It, it gives us uh, all of those things, right? It, it's, it's the reason that true artificial intelligence hasn't been perfected yet, and some believe that it never can. And there are some forms where people call it artificial intelligence, where a computer is learning, but it's not the human brain. It is not a person. It is not a spawned actual consciousness. The, the human brain is incredible, and it's always processing all this stuff, and most of the time, we're not even aware because it happens so quick. Did you know that there's parts of your brain that you can't even control? You may be like, what? How many of you guys have ever had a dream that was so ridiculous and crazy, like where in the world did that come up? How in the world? I mean, I'm in outer space and I'm saving the world and my dentist is in it. Why is my dentist in my dream? I just happened to go to the dentist that day and my brain decided to insert him into my dream of me saving the earth against aliens or whatever. I don't know. How many of you guys have ever had dreams where you had a stretch? Maybe it was a couple of days or weeks where it was bad dreams and you just couldn't get it to stop. It's not like you can go to bed at night and say, okay, brain, not going to do a bad dream tonight. Tonight's a good dream. In fact, I would like to insert the tropical vacation dream tonight. Go. It doesn't work that way. The brain is incredible, and it's moving so fast. In fact, if you compare, and you could go home and study this on your own, and there's lots of differing opinions on the specifics, but they all have a common answer, which is the same, is that the human brain processes information so much faster than any supercomputer. The fastest supercomputers, like the one that you're going to see here on the screen, haven't even breached what they call the 50 pet flop mark of processing speed, which is still 20 times slower than the human brain's processing speed, not to mention supercomputers are massive. And although it is impossible to precisely calculate, scientists have postulated that the human brain operates at one exaflop, which is equivalent to a billion, billion calculations per second. That's your brain. And some of you are confused with pet flop and exaflop, so let me give you a story to help explain this, okay? I'm going to take you on a, on a trip today for a few moments. That's something that you and I do every single day, drive our car. What your brain does to allow you to drive a car is miraculous, okay? I got my hands at 10 and 2 because that's how I was taught in, in training class. Okay, we're going down a road. And these are the things that happen that your brain does without you even thinking about it. You're driving down the road, and the first thing that you're noticing is you have a destination you're going to, from point A to point B. And you know the directions on how I need to turn here, do this, landmark, street, address, following my GPS, whatever it is. And you're also at the same time processing, where's the car in front of me and how close, and where's the car behind me and how close when I look in my rearview mirror. And I'm also coming up to an intersection that's about 100 feet away, and my light has just turned green, which my brain knows means I can go through the intersection. But simultaneously, it remembers a video it saw one time that people don't always stop at red lights coming at me. And so are they slowing down or are they still going? Well, simultaneously, you see a person on this corner closest to you that's holding a cardboard sign that says, I'm homeless, no food, I need money, I need, I need food. At the same time, you've got a person walking down this and it's a lady and she's coming toward the intersection and she's pushing a stroller that has an infant in it and she has her phone in her hand and your brain is processing is she looking at her phone because I've also seen videos that run into things while they're looking at their phone is she going to stop am I going to hit her do I need to slow down at the same time you're saying you better knock it off back there don't make me turn this car around while thinking about what's for dinner that night and the argument you just had with your husband that's your brain 
and more. Is it raining? Is it sunshine? All of these things, your brain just does, and you don't even recognize that it's happening. My question is, is this. What instantaneous and a split-second thought and what was pulled up in your mind in this story when you heard about the person on the corner with a cardboard sign panhandling and asking for money? Now, maybe the story didn't necessarily do it for you because I was talking too fast, but we've all driven an on-ramp and an off-ramp and had somebody there. Can can you be honest with yourself? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand and out yourself, but can you be honest with yourself? What are some of the thoughts that you've had when encountering that situation? And it happens in a split second, and you're gone through, you've made your turn, and you're on your way to your destination. Could it be something like this? You know, that person's lazy. At the same time, the brain says, there's plenty of jobs available. If they really wanted to work, they, they could get work. In fact, it rec- your brain recalls, just last night, I ate the teriyaki joint, and there was a help wanted sign in the front window. If they really wanted to work, they could. You know, and at the same time, your brain's saying, I read an article one time. There's actually people that take advantage of this. They have a nice home and a nice house, and they drive, put on bad clothes. They walk five or six blocks, and they panhandle because they don't want to work. Then they go back. They put in their nice clothes, get back in their car, and go back to their nice house. So how do I know that that person's not doing that? At the same time, it's, it's pulling up the information. I can't just give them money because statistics show that they're just going to go buy drugs with it or alcohol with it or doing something else with it. And all of this happens without you even thinking about it because what happens is inside of your heart... And inside of my mind, our minds, we've already processed and have a belief or an outlook that has been influenced by all of those things that we mentioned a few minutes ago. Does that make sense? Let me give you another situation. What about the individuals that you come into contact with or maybe that you see at arm's length that have a drug addiction? When I drive up and down State Avenue, or 51st, or 67th, I see these individuals all the time, I'm sure you do too, and you can tell because they're arguing with nobody that's there, or they've got whatever is going on on the physical outside that, that lends to that. What are the thoughts that come to our minds about that individual or that group of people? Here's another one. How about those that suffer from alcoholism? You know, maybe, maybe your past story that leads you to today in your story Maybe it hits home that there was an alcoholic in your family and maybe it's a bunch of brokenness because these situations happen. That your past, all you remember is as a child that your family split up or that mom or the dad or grandma or grandpa or somebody was verbally abusive or physically abusive and it tore a family apart. And that's and as soon as you hear somebody else's story or know that they're dealing with that, all of those things come back up to the surface. And I'm not making light of that scenario because it's real and I've walked with people through that situation. It's not fun. I'm simply saying, does that then, though, build in us that as soon as we hear about somebody else, we just lump their story in with everybody. Every alcoholic's like every other alcoholic. Every homeless person is like every other homeless person. What about those that have been incarcerated or have spent time in prison? Do we label them with something that on the outside, if we were to talk, we know the right thing to say, but in our heart, we really think they're not going to change. That thing's always there. The question is, are these individuals' stories Exactly the same. And the answer is no. And when you and I do this, when we label people and we put them into larger groups because we can't know every single one of their stories, our brain classifies them as something. And when we do this, if I were to ask you what term would that be, you might say, well, you're, you're stereotyping them. And, and we're easy to go to the word stereotype because it sounds a whole lot better than what it actually is by definition, definition which is prejudice. 
Let me give you the definition. Prejudice is when a person negatively prejudges another person or group without getting to know their beliefs, their thoughts, their circumstances, and feelings behind their words or actions. When we do this, and some of us aren't even aware that our brains are doing this, we're prejudiced. Just because many of these individuals have a commonality, which is the battle that they're facing, doesn't mean that each of their stories is exactly the same. None of us would like to be grouped in with another group just because we had something similar in common to that group, right? Whether it's the color of our skin or the gender that we are, right? Well, that, all men are chauvinist pigs. Well, no, just because I'm a man, no, not all of them are. And I could go down that road further, but none of us would want to be grouped in just because we have something in common with another group. Each story is unique. And yet that's exactly what we do. You know, I saw a slide, had somebody who was helping me this week do some research, and I loved this. It's just a, a saying you've probably seen out there on social media. If there. It says, don't judge my story by the chapter that you walked in on. Come on, don't judge my story by the chapter you walked in. And this is a chapter of my life. My story's the whole book. And you may have come in in this chapter, but that's not my whole story. I'm not defined by that thing. I'm gonna get through this. And I might need help. I might need your help. But don't label me by the chapter that you happen to walk in on. Let me read you a list of names. Kelly Clarkson, Jim Carrey, Ben Franklin, David Letterman, Sylvester Stallone are all names that we say in common. Celebrities, they're known beyond their local sphere, nationally known, worldwide known, maybe have lots of money, have hundreds of thousands of Twitter followers or Instagram followers. What's the commonality? Well, one of them is every single one of those individuals was homeless at some point in their life. Don't judge my story by the chapter that you walked in on. And here's the thing, when we see individuals, whether well, it's the person with the cardboard sign or somebody who has a drug addiction or somebody who's fighting some battle that's out there, just remember, every person has a story and every story matters to God. Each of those individuals are someone's son, are someone's daughter, are someone's brother, are someone's uncle, someone's grandma, or someone's grandpa. And if it was your son or your daughter or your grandpa or your grandma, wouldn't you want somebody to help them? Let me go a little deeper, right? Let me give you a couple other scenarios or groups of people. You know, maybe it's a little bit lighter than that. Maybe it's just the person that you're annoyed with because you simply see them post on social media all the time the struggles that they're facing. And every post is a new thing. Man, seriously, here she goes again. She just wants attention. Drama, drama, drama. Really, he's had another major blow to his life, or he's already lost his job and needs money, and now he's getting a divorce, and now his kids are sick. It's always something. Can't they just get it figured out? Don't air all your dirty laundry on social media. We're tired of hearing about it. Are these the thoughts that come to mind? Maybe we never say it, but are they there? It may just be that the person that's holding that cardboard sign on the side of the road isn't just lazy or unwilling to work. Are there some that are? Certainly, but not every one of them are the same. Maybe he's a military veteran who returned to an ungrateful country, who experienced atrocities that you and I will never know and only see depicted in movies and on TV. Because of those things, he suffers from a real thing called PTSD, and so he can't hold down a job because of the trauma. Some days, can't even get out of bed. Other days, something sets him off, and he argues with somebody, so he gets fired. He just can't hold down a job. Maybe he has no family. Maybe he has no friends, and he lives in the woods somewhere under a tarp, most nights just hoping he survives the cold to see the morning. Everybody has a story and every, every story matters to God. 
Or maybe that person that you work with down the hall from, maybe they seem fine on the outside. Maybe they seem happy or even steady, but maybe the outside is deceiving. That person could be dealing with depression or anxiety or another illness that causes them to consider that it might just be better for everyone if they weren't around anymore. And we've seen this over the course of the last few years. We've heard names like Robin Williams, Tyler Helinski, the WSU quarterback, gets a little closer to home for us. And even this last week, Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain. What's on the outside can be deceiving. It's on the inside that matters. Here's another thing. You've probably seen this out there. But it says that everyone you meet is fighting a battle that you know nothing about. Everyone you meet in the grocery store, on the freeway, at the PTA meeting, on the baseball, t-ball field, everybody's fighting a battle that you know nothing about. And so the question isn't whether or not we shouldn't judge a book by its cover. I think we can all agree that that's a fair assessment. It's a true statement. It's a biblical principle. The question is, how do we put this into practice and make a change so that we see life and we see people differently through a different lens? Because the truth is, there's another story in Scripture that leans to the same principle, and I'm going to end with this is Jesus has a confrontation with the Pharisees and the religious leaders in the book of Matthew. In Matthew 23, verse 27 and 28, Jesus confronts them and says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. It's not what's on the outside that matters, it's what's on the inside, which is why have you ever considered that Jesus was always hanging out with, was always dining with, and ministering to the societal outcasts of his day? These same groups of people that we just mentioned earlier, those were his, these are ours, and do we, how do we treat them? You know, I often wonder what it would be like that if instead of Jesus coming on the scene just over 2,000 years ago, what if he came today? In the 21st century. Who would he be associating with? If he visited Marysville and was walking down State Street. What would we think? Who would he be hanging out with? Would we all be all that different from the Pharisees. Who chastised him openly and gossiped. Amongst themselves and to others behind his back. Like we see in Mark chapter 2, 13. Where they even come to the disciples and say. Why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? Because they had labeled groups of people like. Well they're too far gone. It's us and it's them. We believe in God and follow him. And that's them. And they're almost like our enemy. And the question is. Do we do the same thing today? I want to end with this. How do we change our view of life and our view of people? How do we fight against the tendency to judge books by their covers? If you're taking notes, I'm just gonna give you two simple things. First, if we want to overcome that, if we wanna change our view, first we have to pray every day, God, help me to see people the way that you see them. God, help me to see past the exterior, past the shell, past the circumstance, past the struggle, past whatever it is, and help me to see people the way that you see them. And number two, we need to look for ways to act 
like Jesus, right? That's the crux. That's the key. Like, where do we go? Do we, do we leave here today and go home after hearing a message like this? Or we evaluate at our own hearts? Do we have prejudices against certain kinds of people? Do we shy away from and hide away from and, and take the long way around to avoid certain groups of people? And do we just live life the same way that we've done before? Or does something change? Because something has to change in us for us to see the change that we all want in our communities. Come on, church. There, something has to change in us. That's where it starts before the change that we want to see on our streets, in our communities, in our schools can happen. The change has to start here. Jesus has called us to step out of our comfort zones and actually love people, not just say that we do. Jesus has called you and I to step out of our comfort zones and actually love people, not just say the words that we do. Love is an action. It's a verb. DC Talk had it right all those years ago, all right? Some of you DC Talk fans. Here's the deal. That doesn't mean that we go give money to every panhandler that you see. In fact, I've met with city government officials who say, man, if you do that, a lot of them are going to use money for the wrong thing. But that also doesn't mean we don't do anything. That doesn't mean we do nothing. Call City Hall. Ask them what the organization names are that are helping those sets of individuals that you can donate to or for Pete's sake, go and volunteer and help out with. Right? You can volunteer or donate to the cold weather shelter that happens in Marysville or the Marysville Food Bank when we do fight hunger. You can donate food or funds. Right? At Christmas time during the gift outreach that we do at Christmas, you can grab a tag or two and help single parents that don't have money to provide gifts for their kids at Christmas time. Right? You can chip in on or volunteer at the single moms and widows outreach we do before Mother's Day. And I've even seen members of this church not wait for a church-sanctioned organized function, but on their own gather coats, scarves, gloves, socks, etc and during the cold winter months go out and help people that need help and here's the truth if we can do this evaluate in our own hearts and make a change we will actually see change in our communities and the lives of those that we come into contact with every day and it starts with two simple steps god help me to see people the way that you see them past the exterior, past the labels, past the stereotypes, past the prejudices, and let me actually see them the way that you see them. And number two, look for ways to act like Jesus. He's calling you and I out of our comfort zones to actually love people, not just say that we do. Amen? Let me pray. God, we thank you, God, for challenging words even like this. Sometimes, God, we want to come and be exhorted and encouraged at church and, and, and feel like a pep talk has happened. But sometimes, God, the greatest change that we see is in the hard conversations. And God, I just pray for each person, including myself, God, where are the areas that maybe I didn't even realize that I have stereotypes? And God, I, for those of us that have said, man, I want to see the streets cleaned up. I want to see Marysville or Lake Stevens or Arlington or Stanwood or Everett or Tulalip have a different reputation that God, you're actually saying that you want to accomplish that through us to do something. And so God, we just simply pray, would you help us to see people as you see them? And God, would you give a boldness to step out of our comfort zone and actually love people, not just say that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Podcast. If you want to keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook or sign up for our e-newsletter at grove.church.